0: In the introduction to the book of essays entitled The Price of the Ticket, James Baldwin quoted from Revelation 2 where it says, Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Then Baldwin penned these extraordinary words. In the church I come from, where we were counseled from time to time, to do our first works over. Which means to re-examine everything. Go back to where you started, as far back as you can, and examine all of it. Travel your road again and tell the truth about it. Sing or shout or testify or keep it to yourself. But no from whence you came, know from whence you came. January sixth, twenty 2021 was an epiphany that will live in infamy. The terrifying reality of America's ugliest shadow, the unresolved history of white grievance and impunity rampaged through the halls of the Citadel of Liberty. On that fateful day, we watched as white terrorists engaged in an insurrection of the United States Capitol that was intended to stop the certification of the 2020 election, rejecting a peaceful transition of power that has been the bedrock of our republic for centuries. Their unlawful occupation of the people's house resulted in bomb threats, rapid evacuation, the destruction of federal property, the loss of four lives, multiple injuries, and our nation shaken with embarrassment, anger, and fear. The white terrorists who stormed the Capitol were instigated and commissioned by the lame-duck white supremacist, Donald Trump, who has long been an enemy of the people and who became an enemy of the state. The senators, representatives, and religious leaders who have supported Trump's lies and unfounded claims of voter fraud now have blood on their hands. The staggering inability to accept reality and move forward, has brought America to our knees and our democracy to the brink of extinction. The sorrowful truth that we now mourn together is that this horrifying, violent, and apocalyptic end to the Trump presidency was the predictable and inevitable consequence of years of hate-filled rhetoric, bold-faced lies, Peddled conspiracies and inhumane policies. Words and actions have consequences. This week, a local artist named Ash Love said, We knew, we knew. We knew, we knew Trump was dangerous, unstable, inciting violence, building an army of white supremacists. We knew, she said, so we shouldn't be surprised at what we've seen today. May today, she said, be your lesson on white supremacy. But we were surprised, weren't we? Many of us were surprised because we never thought it would go this far. We were surprised because instead of taking his words and actions and policies and followers seriously, we acted as if it were all a joke. We called him the Orange Menace and made fun of him like he was nothing but a clown. We called his followers stupid. We made fun of their beliefs We didn't take them seriously, and the reason we treated it like it was a joke was so that we could keep living in denial about what was actually happening. People were being oppressed and harmed in our nation. And then in our denial, we normalized his rhetoric. We normalized his draconian policies and his outright love for white nationalists. We normalized him and his followers— which is why many of us were surprised to see the chickens finally come home to roost. It is as if we thought we'd be spared of the logical outcome of populist lies, racism, and xenophobia. Everyone who participated in the insurrection should be prosecuted as a terrorist. However, I refuse to pass the buck. That would be too easy, too simple. No, this is on all of us. I must accept my part. It may not be our fault, but it is our responsibility. We must own every time we were comfortable with the media calling something the president said racially charged instead of saying it was outright racist. We must own every time we were okay with Twitter, refusing to kip people off of their platform who were spouting lies and conspiracy theories. We must own our acceptance of the disparities in police treatment of white terrorists versus black protesters. We must own the times we hoped that Trump and his followers would just go away after the election in our wishful thinking. We must own the times that we told people who were warning us about fascism that they were overreacting. We must own all the times that we called for civility as the solution to white violence and white power. We must own that we've been living in denial, refusing to take this seriously, because for many of us, it has not been a matter of life and death. We know what was said and done was wrong, but it doesn't always impact our lives directly as it does the poor, black and brown, indigenous and immigrant Americans. So we were morally disgusted, yet not compelled to change. This is, of course, the very definition of privilege. After the insurrection, as Congress returned to their job, I heard senators and representatives condemning the assault on the Capitol saying, this is not America, this is not who we are. And while I understand what they meant and desperately want to believe them, I cannot say this is not who we are anymore. To do so is to remain in denial and we have to stop living in denial because that is the pathology that got us here. Certainly, there are many Americans who are not like the terrorists who stormed the Capitol, but this is who we are. To divorce ourselves from the insurrectionists and pretend that nothing happened so we can go back to normal is irresponsible. The damage is done. White supremacy is alive and well. Whenever someone says, this is not who we are, they are trying to come to grips with reality, longing to go back under the warm blanket of denial instead of wrestling with our identity. Identity. That is the issue. Our problem is that we don't know who we are anymore. We've lost sight of ourselves as a nation. We're suffering not only with a social and economic and health crisis but with a crisis of identity. And now our crisis of identity has become apocalyptic, an existential threat to our very democracy. And it would be easy for us to blame our political leaders for this mess that we are in, but it is also on me, on you, on all of us. It is also on the church and on all American Christians. The attack on the Capitol could never have occurred without a toxic Christianity fueling the righteous indignation of the terrorists. Toxic Christianity is what got us here as a nation. We are who we are today because people who profess to follow Jesus have forgotten who they were supposed to be, who they made vows to be, We are what we are as a country today because people who call themselves Christians have forgotten their baptisms. Baptism is about identity and loyalty. It's not about what we believe, but committing to a way of life, the way of Jesus. And becoming a part of an inclusive community of his followers, of his people. It is about Who you are, who you follow, who you're loyal to. The attack on the Capitol this week was an epiphany, revealing the failure of baptism, the failure of the church, and the failure of American Christianity. This may seem like a bold and audacious claim, but as I looked into the eyes, of the white terrorists committing treason in our capital, I saw not only hatred and fear and anger, I also saw the lost souls of Americans who more than likely had once been baptized. The white man carrying the Confederate flag or screaming at a Capitol police officer, the white woman with the MAGA hat, Or the guy trying to replace the American flag with the flag of Trump. The man dressed in camouflage fatigues. Or the one draped in fur adorned as Vikings. They were all likely, for the most part, sprinkled or immersed in the waters of baptism and made vows to follow Jesus. And I cannot help but wonder what was in that water. And what did baptism mean to them? It cannot be what it meant to John the Baptist, who called people that already thought they were good and righteous and religious people to come down to the waters of the Jordan, repent of their sin, and be baptized. There wasn't a repentant soul in the mob that stormed the Capitol. Many were stunningly blind to the sins of nationalism racism, materialism, and violence, starkly denying their participation in the structural evil of whiteness, Christian supremacy, or economic oppression. While repentance is needed now more than ever in our nation, I can't imagine any one of the insurrectionists would know what to repent for if they were arrested, tried, convicted, and ushered directly to the pearly gates. Is it possible, perhaps, that their baptisms were not for the forgiveness of sin, but the permission to sin. Many were baptized into churches that draped the Bible and the cross with the American flag, where faith and nationalism went hand in hand and were never taught the difference between what it means to be Christian and what it means to be an American. And so it's no wonder we're living through an apocalyptic identity crisis as a nation. What about the baptism of Jesus? Was it his? He had no need to be baptized, yet Jesus submitted to it anyway. What was he submitting to? Not just to God, he went into the water in solidarity with all of humanity, willingly taking his place as a fellow human being. Baptism was his first act of great humility, of self-emptying love and solidarity. As it was sung by the early church, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, and being found in human form, humbled himself and became obedient to the point of baptism and later death on a cross. I saw no humility in the mob gallivanting with entitlement through the halls of our capital, breaking into the office of the Speaker of the House leaning back with their feet upon her desk or sitting in the vice president's chair in the chamber. No, the attack on the Capitol was the opposite of the story of Jesus' baptism. And therefore, Jesus' baptism cannot have been the baptism into which they were baptized. No, they must have undergone a different baptism. I imagine they were baptized into Trumpism. Their loyalty was not to the humble Messiah who submitted himself to humanity, but to a fascist president who told a mob of white nationalists, We love you. You're very special. Trump's words of affirmation to those terrorists are chillingly similar to the words that came out of heaven in the story of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus emerged from the water, a voice said, You are my son, my beloved, and with you I am well pleased. Basically, I love you. You are so very special. I have mentioned how powerful it is to have my father speak these words over me throughout my life. When I graduated from high school, when I was commissioned as an officer in the army, when I was ordained as a minister, when I graduated from seminary, When I got married, when I adopted my daughter, when I completed my doctorate, he said the same thing. You are my son, my beloved, and in you I am well pleased. Words matter. They are incredibly powerful. As someone said Wednesday afternoon, words can inspire the best from us or they can incite the worst. Trump's words to the insurrectionists are another instance of him acting like God. Trump is their God. Trumpism is their church. And it is his baptism into which they have been baptized. They are his zealous disciples, eagerly willing to do his bidding, not Christ's. I know it sounds like foolishness, but as I saw the white terrorists screaming at the police officers and breaking windows and taking over the Capitol building, I wanted to to just reach out and grab them and say, you don't need to do this. Don't you see? You're already beloved. You're already special. You're not beloved and special because you're white or because you're male or privileged or tough guy militants, or because of what conspiracy you believe in, or because Trump loves you and thinks you're special, your worth and value is not determined by what you are or what you believe. You're already loved and special because you are a human being made in the image of God, a beloved child of God. Stop degrading yourself and degrading our society. Stop dehumanizing yourself by dehumanizing others. Repent and submit to baptism. Submit to becoming human again. Yes, I know it sounds foolish. But it's not so different from what Paul said to the churches in his baptismal liturgies. If you are baptized, he said in Galatians 3, there is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ, Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Put to death, therefore, he said in Colossians 3, whatever in you is earthly, evil, and greed. You must rid yourselves of all these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language. Don't lie to one another or to yourselves. You've stripped off the old self with all its practices and clothed yourselves with a new self. Start over, Paul said, to those whose God was Caesar and whose religion was Rome. You must all be baptized so that we can begin again together. For over 2,000 years, the vows every single person made when they were baptized in the Catholic Church have been the same Do you renounce Satan and all his works? In the Episcopal Church and mainline traditions, the vows are similar. Do you renounce Satan and the spiritual forces of wickedness? Do you renounce the evil powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? And everyone, whoever gets baptized, always says, I do. The problem is, we've never been taught what evil really is. Some of us were told that it was lust or sex drinking, or even worse, dancing. But the shallowness of our theology of evil has become incredibly obvious when millions of Christians blindly followed Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini, clearly unable to distinguish good from the pure, unadulterated evil of ethnic nationalism, fascism, violence, oppression, and genocide. Moderates and liberals, we hate to talk about evil, yet this is exactly what makes us blind to its power and the most vulnerable to being lured into its jaws and susceptible to becoming its unwitting agents. Without a good theology of evil, baptism means nothing. This is not the first time in history that Christian identity crisis has become the crisis of an entire nation, 500 years ago, Europe was dominated by the Holy Roman Empire. Being a follower of Jesus was the same thing as being a loyal subject. When you were baptized as a child, you became a Christian and a citizen on the same day. There was no distinction. However, some people learned to read the Bible and began to see that baptism was actually about loyalty to Christ in opposition to empire. And in Switzerland, the followers of a reformer named Zwingli began to feel he was not moving fast enough to reform the church in opposition and to oppose infant baptism. They rejected that practice because it did not carefully distinguish a person's identity as a follower of Jesus from their national and ethnic identity. A man named Conrad Grable and a few others were banned for arguing that their first baptism as infants was not valid because it was with impurity of mixing the church and empire. And so he started baptizing adults again, garnering the pejorative name Anabaptist. And it is from that decision that baptism was invalid because of its mixture with the empire that the denomination known as Baptists was born. Anyone who was baptized into Trumpism must repent And be baptized in order to be born again. But the harsh reality is that we may all be in the same place, that those early Anabaptists were a time in history where the church and the state have become so entangled together, our faith so corrupted and compromised by the empire, that all who were baptized into American Christianity now need to be baptized again. In her book, The great emergence, Phyllis Tickle uses the analogy of a rummage sale to describe the church, and she says that historically, every 500 years or so, the church must clean house and holds a giant rummage sale to decide what to dispose of and what to keep, making room for the new thing that is being born. Well, it's been exactly 500 years since the Reformation, and the time has come for another rummage sale. A radical reevaluation of Christian identity, which will have to begin with throwing out our old theology of baptism. While I was in seminary, a white student training to be a pastor asked our black professor, Willie Jennings, Dr. Jennings, what should white clergy do about the problem of racism in our churches? Dr. Jennings replied, When you baptize people in your congregations, you should say these words over them You are no longer white. You are now a Christian. You are no longer white. You are now a Christian. Then he added If you do this, you'll quickly find out where your congregation stands. You may lose your appointment. But at least, he said, you'll know whether or not they were truly interested in following Jesus. This Sunday, as we remember the baptism of Jesus, it may not be the year simply to remember our own baptisms. It may be the time to renounce our baptism entirely and to take on another. I realize this sounds rash, and many of my fellow pastors and theologians will call this heresy, clinging to the hope for ecumenism, inciting the text, one faith, one Lord, one baptism. In response, I'd offer the picture of a mob storming the Capitol, an ecumenical band of different believers from all sorts of denominations joined together in a common cause of evil. Unity is of no value in and of itself. If unity is to be good and holy, it must be for the purpose of love, justice, and equality. The baptism we received was most likely a baptism into Americanism, into the way of empire, And that baptism is what has brought us to where we are today. It gave us patriarchy, genocide, white supremacy, slavery, Jim Crow, xenophobia, and homophobia. It gave us American evangelicalism, the moral majority, QAnon, the Proud Boys, and it led to an insurrection at the Capitol. There is something toxic in the water of American Christianity, and we desperately need to be baptized in a different stream. So, here's the invitation. Let us be repentant. Let us repent and be washed in new waters. Let us be washed clean of white supremacy. Let us be washed clean of Christian nationalism. Let us be washed clean of economic inequality. Let us be washed clean of all the conspiracy theories. Let us be washed clean of all the lies. Let us be washed clean of this insurrection. Let us be washed clean of white terrorism, Let us be washed clean of the religion, the cult of Trumpism. Let us be washed clean of hate and discrimination, inequality and injustice. Let us be washed clean of all the evil that plagues our country. Let us be washed clean again as followers of Jesus and as Americans. We need to start over. We need a new self and a new creation, a new society and a new nation. We need a new beginning, and we must be born again in order for us to begin again. So let everything old be washed away so that we can see the new thing that God is doing. Our identities are compromised, and we face an apocalyptic moment. Let this be the moment of our reckoning, and let it not pass us by. Christianity and America are lifeless in their current state. Both must be made anew. But it's not too late for us, or for our faith, or for our nation, or even for those who stormed the Capitol. It's never too late. At the beginning of this new year, I've decided I'm remaking my own baptismal vows. I'm going to start all over again. I'm going to renounce Satan and all of his works. I'm going to wash myself of all that is evil. I'm going to be born again so that I can begin again and we can all begin again. The civil religion of white supremacy and Christian nationalism has perverted our faith and our nation beyond recognition. It is toxic and evil and we have to purge ourselves from it and give birth to a new faith and a new nation. It's going to be incredibly challenging work. The task before us is as daunting as ever, but we can do it if we commit to doing it together. When the other choice is extinction or oblivion, maybe, just maybe, we will have the courage this time to truly change. So let us all repent and be baptized, washed clean of the scourge on our faith and our nation. As Baldwin suggested, let us all go back to where we started. As far back as we can remember. Back to the beginning and examine all of it. Travel our road again and tell the truth about it. And as we do, let us all remember and never forget that we are God's beloved children. We are beloved and special because we are human and only because we are human and for nothing else. Because that is the truth, the greatest truth, that gives us the power to change, a truth that brings life to lifeless places, a truth that brings resurrection of the things that must die, a truth it makes all things possible amen